This is Cruise Radio. Cruise Radio is brought to you in part by TripInsurance.com. Travel insurance done right by the people who know travel insurance. Get a quote today at TripInsurance.com. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thanks for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of Royal Caribbean Symphony of the Seas today. Sherry Laskin is here with Cruise News and some big news out of the Carnival Cruise Line camp this week. A couple of big stories. The first one, uh, they re-signed for Mobile, but the second one... Putting another ship in Galveston, Texas. So we are going to waste no time and jump right to Fred Stein. He's the Vice President of Revenue Planning and Development for Carnival Cruise Line to share the news. Hey, Fred. Hey, Doug. How's it going? Good, buddy. Don't hold back. What news do you have for us today? Hey, so we have got some exciting news for the folks in uh, Texas. We are bringing Carnival Radiance to Texas starting May 2021, uh, fresh from a brand new $200 million renovation and makeover. So Radiance is currently Carnival Victory, but she's going to get the makeover that Sunrise just got, correct? Absolutely correct. Awesome. Now, since 2015, Carnival has been pretty bullish on the golf market. Why is that? We love Texas, and uh, Texas cruisers love cruising on Carnival. And, uh, you know, there's 37 million people that live within a 500-mile radius of the Galveston port. Uh, so that puts a big population there that uh, makes it an easy drive to go on a Carnival cruise. Talk to us about some of the itineraries Radiance will be bringing to Galveston. Yep, so we're starting a new program uh, with that. She's going to do a combination of five-day and nine-day cruises. And the nine-day cruises are cool because they leave on a Friday and uh, return on a Sunday. So it's it's kind of like a week off from work, and it allows a, our guests to get uh, deeper down into the Caribbean than you could otherwise on a shorter cruise. So we've got three different uh, nine-day itineraries. Uh, one that uh, visits uh, the Panama Canal and actually does a uh, partial transit or uh, alternatively uh, visits Cologne and Panama. We've also got a nine-day Eastern Caribbean that uh, visits seven, several islands out there in the Eastern Caribbean and also hits Grand Turk, which is uh, a first uh, for us to be able to regularly offer sailings to Grand Turk from uh, Galveston. And then we've got a third nine-day option that uh, is a Western Caribbean with a five ports of call. So that'll be, what, four ships in Galveston by 2021? That's correct. We're going to have four, and uh, we'll be bringing Carnival Breeze back. If you'll remember, she was there uh, a few years back, very popular with the folks in Texas, and we'll be bringing Carnival Breeze back. She'll take on the uh, five- and four-day cruises. Uh, Carnival Dream uh, will remain in Galveston, but she's going to switch to a rotation of six- and eight-day sailings. Carnival Vista, which was new in Galveston last year, is going to continue on the seven-day route. Awesome. You have some serious equipment going over there to Galveston. Very cool. Now, I want to go back to Carnival Radiance just for a moment here. It's going to undergo this $200 million bow to stern makeover. What kind of enhancements are we going to see during this makeover? So we'll be bringing all of our best-loved features to uh, Carnival Radiance. So, for example, guys, uh, pig and anchor, barbecue, uh, the Cucina del Capitano uh, family-style Italian restaurant, Bonsai Sushi, Red Frog Pub. And a first for uh, Radiance and a first for the Carnival brand is going to be Shaq's Big Chicken. And uh, we're really excited about that. So we need to mark our calendars for May of 2021? That's correct. Uh, Carnival Radiance arrives May 14th, 2021. We'll have sailings uh, open for sale out through April of 2022. And uh, those went on sale already on Tuesday. 
Very cool. We've been talking with Fred Stein, Vice President of Revenue Planning and Development for Carnival Cruise Line. Fred, always good talking to you, my friend. Thanks for the great news. Hey, Doug. Great to be with you. Have a great one. All right. Sherry Laskin is here with Cruise News. Hey, Sherry. Hey, Doug. So a cruise line is taking a fee-based priority program fleet-wide now. Yeah, we talked about this a little while ago. So Norwegian Cruise Line has just rolled out its fee-based priority access program and fleet-wide, as you mentioned, as of Wednesday, October 9th. The program was originally tested on Norwegian Breakaway and Norwegian Sky over the summer, and it proved to be successful enough so the decision was made to offer it fleet-wide. And just a little bit of insight as to what it includes, because it's kind of lengthy. So priority access will include uh, security check-in and boarding priority at the pier. You'll have priority tendering if you have to go from ship to shore. This is kind of nice. Standard room service breakfast menu will be offered at no additional cost every day of the cruise if you want. And again, it's a standard room service menu. What that is really hasn't been revealed yet. But, uh, you know, it's better than um, cold cereal, right? Mm-hmm. Priority debark at the end of the cruise and a $50 per person spa credit that can be used on services on port days only and only on treatments of 50 minutes or more. And then they will bring you a tray of canapes on day two of the cruise. Now, if you're wondering what this is going to cost, again, like the other programs with, uh, what is it, Carnival and uh, Holland America is per state room, not per person. So on a one to five day cruise, you'll pay $99 per cabin. Six to nine days is $179. 10 to 15 days is $249 per cabin. And if you're on a really long cruise of 16 days or more, you'll pay $299 per cabin. But be aware, once you have purchased the program and you get on the ship, it is non-refundable. And that is how Norwegian can afford to buy all that land in Alaska. Tell me about it. All three (laughs) acres for $20 million. That's crazy. Amazing. Royal Caribbean has just named their new ship and where it's going to sail from. Yeah, they let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. So Royal Caribbean has named its fifth Oasis-class ship and also revealed its itinerary. So the next ship is named Wonder of the Seas, and it will be homeported in Shanghai, China. It's going to debut in 2021, and this will be the world's largest cruise ship and the first Oasis-class ship that will cruise the Asian Pacific. So at the same time as the ship's name and home port was announced, a Wonder of the Seas had its keel lowered into place at the shipyard in France. During the keel-laying ceremony, a 970-ton block was lifted onto the building dock with none less than a 1,400-ton crane. So that's exciting times for a new ship. The largest ship to ever dock in Manhattan just called there last week. It did so. MSC Cruises Meraviglia became the largest ship ever to dock in Manhattan. The ship weighs nearly 171,000 gross tons and can accommodate 4,488 guests. And this is not including the triple or quad staterooms. Meraviglia also is, or in the next few days will be, the largest ship to dock in Boston, Massachusetts, Portland, Oregon, and Bar Harbor, Maine. So after that, the ship will move to Miami uh, for seven-night Caribbean cruises, and they will also they will all include a stop at MSC's new Bahamas destination, which is called Ocean Key MSC Marine Reserve. And if anyone's curious and wondering 
what meraviglia means in Italian, it's wonder. So, and the ship was launched. It's not a new ship. It was launched in 2017, and it is the first of its namesakes class of ships. And what was Royal Caribbean's new ship name? Wonder. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it's like everybody's got a dream now. Everyone's got yeah. a wonder just in different languages, right? <laughs> Fantasy, liberty. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So Carnival Ecstasy just completed a multi-million dollar dry dock. Any new additions? Yeah, yeah. This two-week experience um, will add Bonsai Sushi Express, a video arcade, and the Dreams Studio photo area. The fun ships um, were upgraded as well as carpeting and some of the other soft goods. You know, they would replace things as needed. So, yeah, the ship is back in Jacksonville and it's resuming its year-round schedule of four- and five-day cruises to the Bahamas. And finally, Cunard started construction on their 249th ship. I didn't realize this. Yeah, they're an old cruise line and they just celebrated the beginning of construction on, like you said, their 249th ship. And they had the steel cutting ceremony at the shipyard in Italy. The first piece of steel cut will be incorporated into a sculpture by, I haven't heard of him, but he's apparently a renowned sculptor by the name of Sam Shendi. And this will be displayed on the new ship. And while the ship's name has not yet been announced, it will be the second largest of all the Cunard ships. And the new ship is scheduled to join the fleet in 2022. Listener question comes from Dustin. Dustin is going to Key West, Freeport, Half Moon Key, and Nassau, Bahamas, and wants to know what to do because he's never been to any of these islands. What do you suggest, Sherry? Well, um, I was tossing around some things. So for Key West, and we can sort of maybe go back and forth and, you know, share ideas. But for me in Key West, I suggested maybe doing the trolley tour. That's kind of a goofy, fun thing to do. And then just go have lunch somewhere. Stop at Hemingway's at you know Hemingway's place and the and uh, the bar on the corner. But the last time I was in Key West, I signed up for the Key West food tour. There was only six of us. We met at the Cuban restaurant. We sampled about five different places, and it was so much fun. So if you know it's it's not that expensive. So my first suggestion would be to. Maybe just do the trolley and then pick up the Key West food tour if timing allows. What about you? What do you suggest? If you don't want to do the trolley, my suggestion is right next to Sloppy Joe's, there's a bike rental place and rent the bike just for a couple of hours. You could go down to the southernmost point. You could check out the Hemingway House and all these different things along the way. And there's bike racks at all these venues as well. Um, then turn your bikes in and do a Duval Street bar crawl. I mean, just have a have a good time. You know, Key West isn't really known for the pristine beaches. You're going to experience that once you get like to Half Moon and uh, to the Bahamas. So I would just totally make it like a, you know, rent some bikes, have a good day and a few drinks. Any of those, you cannot go wrong. And then he's going to Freeport next. What do you suggest there? Yeah, you know, Freeport, until I get back there and actually assess the situation. Um, I'm going to agree uh, with this, uh, the Tiano Beach mm-hmm. Resort. Cheap to get to. It's spend the day there. It'll run about $17, $18, I think, um, including transportation. So um, that was, that's kind of what you've mentioned to me once before too, right? Yeah, I did that last time I went to Freeport. We actually had a really nice day there because they had some cold drinks right there at the beach bar and we did parasailing too, which is cool. And it's weird because the parasailing we did, it wasn't one of those where you get on the speedboat and they slowly let you out. It's They launch you off a 
floating dock in the middle of the ocean. It's a really cool experience. If, you, uh, if you're if you into parasailing and that's your thing, I would definitely try that if you go to Freeport. Their next port of call is going to be Half Moon Key. Yeah, well, whenever I go to Half Moon Key, I have one thing that I always do, and that's the horseback riding. Um, I think I've done this three times. It never seems to get old. It is a little pricey, but it's a really great experience. Uh, first, you, you um, everybody meets right by the, there's a shelter across from the information stand. You can't miss it. You take a little trolley down to the stables. Um, they sort of assess your uh, capability. There's a lot of first timers that have never been on a horse and it's just fine. You have a helmet and all that. Then you do just a very slow trail ride around the little farm and the stable up there and see the goats and the chickens. And then you switch horses and then you, they put on a water saddle and you put on your little life uh, raft, you know, your um, the belt. Mm-hmm. And uh, you walk into the water on your horse. You walk down to a certain point, And then the, the, um, the leader yells out, Yahoo! The horses all <laughs> turn around. And if they could gallop, they would be galloping. But they swim just as fast as they can to try to get back to the stable. Because they know their day is ending. I always get a clamshell and you want to get the clamshells before you get there because it's always six or one half dozen the other. It's I've had times where I've got to the little uh, information booth at Half Moon and the clamshells were sold out. And I've been there before where there was a lot open. But just to avoid all of that, just book it on the ship. Yeah, just make it a relaxing beach day. Maybe wander over to the uh, the pirate ship bar or one of the bars, listen to the live music, or just splash around in the water. But um, yeah, Half Moon's definitely one of those just fun in the sun, chill days. Mm-hmm. And then their final port of call is Nassau. Yeah, and then this is always a challenge. But I, you know, I still like going to Nassau. There's always something different. So remember, Doug, a few years ago, we took that rum and food walking tour. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That was a lot of fun. So that's one suggestion. Um, another one that I like to do is kind of doofy, but I take the little boat, the little um, boat that you catch right at the pier over to Paradise Island. And then I just like to walk around and, and, and pop into the casino, spend $1 <laughs> on a slot machine and just, um, you know, just kind of hang out there. It's a nice little boat ride. It takes about 20 minutes. And they tell you, you know, the guy points out all the celebrities that have lived along the, the coastline there. And the other thing I would suggest, um, and I've done this also, but it really depends on um, the time that your ship is docked, is having either a lunch or a dinner at Great Cliff, the old mansion that's now a hotel. And it's actually turning into an attraction of its own with the cigar room. They've got the chocolate that we went to on the um, food walking tour that time. Yeah, love that tour. All right, Dustin, I hope this helps you, buddy. Uh, if you have a listener question, Doug at cruiseradio.net. As always, Sherry Laskin from cruisemaven.com. Thank you. Thanks, Doug. If you have an Amazon Alexa enabled device, ask her to enable the Cruise Radio News Skill so you can get daily updates anytime. Straight from Cruise Radio. When is your next cruise? Where are you going? And what are you going to do once you get there? Market-leading specialist CruisingExcursions.com offers savings up to 60% offshore excursions versus cruise line prices. Whether it's private, shared, scenic, historic, or family tours, CruisingExcursions.com has up to 12,000 excursions in over 700 ports worldwide. You can even bundle your excursions for more savings. Make your next vacation affordable and unforgettable by visiting cruisingexcursions.com. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? 
simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Check out our blog, the video page, and interact at cruiseradio.net. John Phillips is one of the morning show hosts at Talk Radio 790 KABC over in Los Angeles. And when he's not on the air weekday mornings, he enjoys cruising. He just returned from a seven-night sailing aboard Royal Caribbean's Symphony of the Seas out of Port Miami. And he joins us on the line. Hey, John. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, so you're out on the West Coast. So it's a little bit to get here to Florida to take the Symphony of the Seas. So give us some pre-cruise thoughts. What made you want to take this seven-nighter out of Miami? Well, the ship was certainly the draw for me. I, however, made one big mistake that (laughs) I would absolutely make again because it's not supposed to go south on you like it did on me, and it usually doesn't. But... There are nonstop flights from L.A. to to Miami that that go all day long because that's a hub for American, both L.A. and and Miami. Um, I, however, in my infinite wisdom, decided that I would go out of Burbank instead of L.A. to avoid the mess at LAX, and I had to connect in Dallas. And that was right when that hurricane was just wiping out Houston, and then remnants of it were expected to go near Dallas. So everyone on my flight who was connecting somewhere else got stuck in Dallas overnight. Um, But as long as I made the cruise the next day, I was a happy camper. So I stayed the night in Dallas, got on the 7 a.m. flight from Dallas to Miami and made the cruise the next day. And so I was counting my blessings. Is Burbank that much more relaxed than LAX? Oh, yeah. Burbank is like going back into time. You walk into Burbank Airport, it's like going back into the 60s. You expect to see people smoking and <laughs> drinking martinis right and left. Um, there, You don't have the number of flights that you do out of LAX, but it's, it's very easy. And uh, here's a little secret for your listeners. American Airlines recently brought back the Burbank to Dallas flight, which was canceled for some time, and mm-hmm. you had to go through Phoenix for everything but they haven't advertised it yet. So you can get unbelievable deals out of Burbank to anywhere you want to go. Um, I had first class tickets round trip for uh, just a little over $700 out of Burbank with one stop. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. So you make your way to Port Miami. How was embarkation once you boarded Symphony? It was super easy. They really streamlined the process in ways that I haven't seen before. I would imagine that from the time I got out of my Uber and onto the ship, it took no more than 15 or 20 minutes. And when you're talking about a huge ship with thousands of people, I didn't think that was possible. But if you already checked in on the app and you already had your picture taken and you already had your drink packets purchased and you had all your proper documents, there was no reason for you to wait in line at all. It was really, really, really easy. So it sounds like it's pretty streamlined. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, in fact, 
getting on and getting off the ship was easier on this cruise than I've ever experienced before in my entire life. Uh, the only part of that process that was a pain was getting my Uber on the way out, which, yeah. of course, the cruise company doesn't really have much to do with. Um, but they kind of just throw everyone into one general area. And that process took about an hour to get out of the, the port. You make your way on board Symphony. What were your first impressions? It's huge. It's huge. Um, I traveled with family. They were on the same floor, but they were on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. And it was literally a five-minute walk from my cabin to theirs, uh, maybe even actually longer than that, never leaving that floor. Wow. It was unbelievably big. And I've been on the Oasis before, and they're, they're of similar size. But for whatever reason, this one just felt bigger. And I, I don't know if it was because it's been a while since I've been on the Oasis that I just forgot how big it was, or I was experiencing an Oasis-class ship for the first time with, with relatives who were just kind of seeing it and, talk, you know, reacting to it out loud in real time. But it was, it was an impressive, impressive ship. Yeah, I don't know if it's a decor thing or a design thing, but the symphony actually feels wider along the main promenade. It really does. And I remember there being lines pretty much everywhere you turned on the Oasis, mm-hmm. and that wasn't the case on the symphony. So even when it came to going to shows or going to breakfast or getting on or off the ship, it was very easy to do. And I just don't remember seeing any lines of any consequence on the ship. You made your way to your stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you book and what were your thoughts of it? So I typically book junior suites. Um, A, you get double points for crown and anchor. And B, the bathrooms in particular are a little bit bigger, and so are the balconies. And I'm 6'4", so I'm pretty big, and I get claustrophobic easily. On this cruise, I took my family with me, so I was on a little bit more of a budget than normal for myself. So I just went for just a regular balcony room, and I was very impressed. Um, The ship is relatively new, so all of the technology was up to date. It didn't feel like going back into time. The bathroom in particular felt more spacious, and I don't know if it actually is more spacious or the fact that they didn't have the frosted glass on the shower. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes you shower in that tube with the frosted glass and you feel like you're going to get shot shot into some Willy Wonka uh, maze. Uh, In this particular case, it was clear glass and uh, it didn't feel quite as confined. Does the Royal Caribbean app, um, does it interact with the stateroom at all, with the, like the door locks or the controls for the AC or anything? I, if it did, I, I didn't use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of a Luddite when it comes to technology. So, um, you know, I'm the, I'm the worst person to, to ask <laughs> that question to. I do know that the app worked on the, on the whole trip, mm-hmm. um, and it would tell you, you know, what shows you had reserved and and what table you were sitting at for dinner and the temperature of whatever city you were in and the temperature of whatever city you were going to. So it was useful. Let's talk about dining on this seven-night cruise. And we'll start in the main dining room. What time dining did you have and how was your experience? I had early dining because my my parents like to eat early. And it was, for my taste, a little bit too early. I think we, we did it at 5.30. This was my first cruise as a, as a Diamond uh, member of the Crown and Anchor Society. So I would like to go and, and sp- have spent a little bit more time in the, in the Diamond Lounge 
you know, you meet, that's where you meet all of the regular cruisers and you can share stories. And, and I really like doing that. Um, but I always kind of felt like I was rushed in terms of the service in the dining room. It was absolutely fantastic. And I don't know if they reward uh, their high performing uh, crew members by putting them on the Oasis class ships, but of all of the cruises I've taken on, on Royal, the two ships with the best service by far are Oasis and Symphony. You know, they found out what type of bread you liked, and they'd bring you baskets of bread that were heavy on whatever it was that you liked. In our case, it was, it was the pumpkin bread. They know what cocktails you like and what drinks you like, and you'd show up to the table, and one would be sitting there. And then when the after-dinner coffee would come, one person at our table was having coffee and, and Bailey's, it was always with whipped cream and the cherry and then, you know, a heart made out of the, the paper on the straw. They really paid very close attention to detail and really on point. Um, the food in the main dining room was very good, too. They changed the menus around a little bit. And so sometimes you'd have a night where two of your favorites or three of your favorites happen to be on the same menu. Um, I like the tiger shrimp a lot. And I like the chicken cordon bleu a lot. Typically they're on different, different nights on this one. They were there. Um, What really blew me away. And this is going to sound strange, but it it not just was great at the specialty restaurants, but at the buffets and the uh, dining room as well, their charcuterie meats and cheeses were just fantastic. Uh, the quality of, of the salamis and the meats uh, that they had to offer and the variety really, really was impressive. Do you find that the food is generally consistent from ship to ship with Royal Caribbean? I do. I do. What changes sometimes is the quality of the, the produce. Mm-hmm. I've noticed sometimes with the fruit and with the lettuce and stuff in the salad, um, sometimes you'll, you'll see a difference. But just everything was on point on this ship. How was your experience in the Windjammer Marketplace? You know what? This is its going to sound crazy. This is the first Royal Cruise I've ever been on where I didn't go to Windjammer once. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't do it because, A, I was really impressed with the, the food in the main dining room, mm-hmm. and we did a specialty one night. But, and this may be my favorite part of the symphony, they had so many different options for breakfast that you never had to wait in line, and the food was great everywhere you went. The Solarium had its own mini buffet, which is typically where I would go, and they had everything that you could get at Windjammer, but just, you know, in a, in a smaller, more confined space. But you didn't have to wait in line. You could just grab your plate and go up there, and it was adults only, so you didn't have kids screaming at one another. That was great. They had a restaurant in Central Park, that had a breakfast as well, where they had different items. They had breakfast sandwiches. They had a, a bagel bar where they'd put whatever it was that you want on the bagel. It was really, really, really neat how you could have, you could go to, you know, five or six different locations on the ship, including room service, and not have to wait in line for breakfast. Because sometimes the wind jammer can just be a zoo. Mm-hmm. And, and if you wait too late, you're just out of luck and you just have to wait in line. Uh, on this ship, I never had to do that. What specialty restaurant did you go to, and how was it? I went to the Italian one, and it wasn't Portofino's. It was one of the celebrity chef ones, mm-hmm. and it was very good. The service was great. Uh, the only thing I would say is the, the portion size and the amount of food that they gave you was just totally overwhelming. But everything just tasted phenomenal. 
The only criticism I would have of the food just in general on this ship is not unique to the symphony. This is just a criticism of Royal in general. I always used to look forward to their cold soups, Mm -hmm. their banana rum, their strawberry bisque, their um, watermelon bisque. And every night they'd offer a new one on the menu. And I don't know why, but they scaled them way back for a long time, where I think it was just the strawberry bisque is the lone holdout. And the strawberry bisque was not on the menu this time. So they, there were absolutely zero cold soups hmm. on this cruise. Let's talk about the uh, entertainment on this seven-night cruise. What did you think of it? It was great. Um, there were two different diving shows. And there was a tropical storm Karen was going on, which altered our itinerary. And while we didn't have to deal with a storm and we didn't have to deal with much rain, although we had some, the boat rocked enough to where it wasn't safe for the performers to, to do the show. So I would say three quarters of those performances were, were canceled. But what I did see were, was, was great. They had Hairspray as their Broadway show. That was great. The comedians were really funny. Uh, they had uh, a show called Flight, which was like a Cirque show. That was enjoyable, and I always loved their their ice skating as well. So, you know, the Oasis-class ships really put their best foot forward with the entertainment, and, and there really wasn't anything I could criticize. I, everyone in my party was very, very, very happy with the entertainment. How about the music venues around the ship and the live bands and such? They were good. <laughs> I will say that I do prefer the bars on the smaller ships. I prefer them on the Freedom class ships. The Jewel, by the way, is one of my favorite in, in the Royal Caribbean fleet. And part of what I love is you, you pick a bar, and more specifically, you pick a bartender that you happen to like and a space that you like and a band that you like, and you just kind of hang out there and you make that your own little clubhouse and you meet other passengers who like the same bartender like the same music or like the same space and you kind of meet have that as your as your little meeting place boleros and schooner and all of those bars where you would typically get that sort of thing on this ship were so massive and so big it was more like a scene than a clubhouse Mm -hmm. so i didn't spend as much time in those areas on this ship as i would on say jewel or freedom Yeah, I think you're right. Like with Jewel, they have the disco and the cigar bar are kind of right next to each other, but in their own cozy little corner. And I do like that with that Jewel-class ship. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. It's great. You feel like you own the ship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. On sea days, how was the ship as far as crowds and congestion? Great. This was the best I've ever seen in terms of always being able to get a chair always being able to, to have space where you didn't feel like people were on top of you or people were hounding you. The solarium always had space. I like to park myself right near the, the water slides mm-hmm. because you had this canopy above you, so you were in the shade the whole time. And I pretty much just, we had a block of six chairs there every single day, and that was our little meeting place by the pool. I was very, very, very happy with that. And by the way, I would add, on the two private islands that we went to, both Labadee and Coco Cay, the same was true. I never felt like there was a scrum for, for chairs. Yeah, and let's talk about the private islands. So this was supposed to be a seven-night Eastern Caribbean cruise, but because of Hurricane Karen or Tropical Storm, whatever it was out there spinning around, um, it kind of diverted you. So what ports of call did you hit? And give us a highlight from each one. So we had three. The first one was Labadee. 
And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Labadee because of the number of chairs and the shade and they have uh, bathrooms there and, and um, you know, your card, your CPAS card works at all the bars and restaurants. So I, I, I'm a big fan of Labadee in general. My favorite part of Labadee is the, is the, the lunch buffet that they have there. Their food was slightly different from what I had before. They had like a chicken mac and cheese that was great. They had a potato salad with bacon in it. And I, I'm a big fan of their hamburgers as well. And they had a bunch of other stuff also on the island. But the food and just the availability of chairs was, was great. Cozumel was the second one. And I've been to Cozumel a million times. And typically what I do there is the um, uh, snorkeling. But there were enough people in my party that didn't want to do that. So we just got in a cab and went and had a Mexican lunch and then got back on the ship. And the food was good. If I had to do it without my family, uh, what I would do is I would find a private beach club and just buy a day pass for a day. I talked to people on the ship who did that and said that that was certainly uh, the way to go. Mm-hmm. This third stop we had was Perfect Day at Coco Cay, which is still not fully complete yet. They're, they're doing it in phases. But I, I will say that the pool that they have there was great plenty of bars in the pool. You didn't have to wait long for a drink. Everyone was in a good mood. Lots of space to lay out, not just in the pool, but in the, um, on the beaches as well. And they had any number of beaches that you could go to and trams to take you around. I didn't do the water slide park. I didn't do any of the specialty restaurants there, but just the general buffet that they had was very good. So you could roll on to Perfect Day at Coco Cay and like you don't have to buy a water park or the tethering hot air balloon or anything like that and you could still have a great time. Yeah, I didn't do I didn't spend any money at Labadee or Coco Cay and I had a great time at each island. People did the zip lining and they rented the jet skis and all of that and I'm sure they had a great time doing it. I didn't and I was perfectly satisfied. Because if you're on vacation, you're on mm-hmm. a cruise. If you're a teenager, maybe you want to do something like that. But I, I was just fine drinking and playing in the water. Yeah, fair enough. I, I was uh, I went to Labadee a few years ago and did that Dragon's Flight zip line. That thing is so wild. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> so cool. So uh, <laughs> everyone back... looks like Christopher Reeve and yeah, Superman, just kind of like <laughs> flying over the beach. Yeah, <laughs> and if you come in a little too hot, you can feel it on impact too. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I bet. So back on the ship then, did you buy the, I know you're diamond, so you maybe didn't have to do this, but did you buy the drink package or internet package? I bought the drink package, and every time I do, their stock price takes a dip. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I like to imbibe. They did take some of the types of booze off that I like. I'm, I'm a big fan of Macallan uh, 12 Scotch, mm-hmm. and that had been part of the booze package up until recently. Uh, it's like a $45 a bottle Scotch, and I was always kind of surprised that it was there. Uh, that was gone, so when I had my Scotch, I had to do Dewar's or Glen Levitt, which is perfectly fine. In terms of vodkas, my favorite kind of vodka, and if you've never tried it, you got to try it, but don't ruin it with fruit juice. Drink it as a martini, dirty if you're into that. They have a vodka called Stoli Elite. Okay. That is the smoothest vodka you will ever drink. And they had that as one of the vodkas that was part of the drink package, which was fantastic. Unfortunately, word has gotten out. So 
the bars would be would be empty uh, frequently, and then they'd have to order it. It may take a day or two for them to get it. When you're on a smaller ship and you go to the same bars over and over and over again, and you take care of the bartenders, they know what you like, and they make sure that there's a bottle of Macallan and a bottle of Stoli that it, that's always there. One of the the downfalls of being on such a big ship is there there weren't any bartenders I really established that kind of relationship with, mm-hmm. so it was always just a crapshoot. The Stoli Elite, I'll have to try that. Are you a fan of Tito's at all? I am a fan of Tito's. Yeah, see, that's all I drink, so I'll have to try the Stoli yeah, Elite. Yeah, well, you know, if, you, if you're a regular cruiser out of Galveston, you have to learn to like Tito's <laughs> if you don't, because that's all you get for the first day. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Those pesky liquor laws. Uh, the casino on board Symphony, did you notice a smoke smell in or around the casino? Half of it was smoking, half of it was non-smoking. I'm a non-smoker, but I'm a non-smoker where, and even though I'm from California, it doesn't really bother me if people around me do. Mm-hmm. I was with people who were really sensitive to that. And so if they played the, the slot machines right on the line between the smoking section and the non-smoking section, they'd complain, and then they'd move over a row or two of, of slot machines, and they'd be perfectly fine. Yeah, I was happy with the ventilation. I was even happier with the fact that you know, sometimes you go on these on these cruises or you go to a casino and they just suck your money up right away. Mm-hmm. It was always a give and a take. I think I ended up up a little. And I, I like to gamble. I played blackjack and uh, my family played the slot, so I did a fair amount of that with them. Um, but it was a casino that was, you know, not overly generous, but not not something that would, you know, take all your money the first night. And that was that. So you make your way back to Port Miami. How was debark for you? It was easy. They have, at Immigration and Customs, they have these iPads that you look at, and it uses facial recognition software. So you don't talk to an actual human when you leave, and you're going through customs. You just look at an iPad, and then it blinks green, and you get to go. Or if it blinks red, someone comes up to you and talks to you. It was the fastest I've ever experienced getting off a ship. That being said, it totally bottlenecked when you were trying to get your ride share. It took me an hour to get my Uber. And when I first called the Uber, it said it was six minutes away, and it took an hour. I guess that's the issue where Terminal A is located, right? Because it's right there at the very end, and you can't really walk anywhere to get out of that ride-sharing zone because everyone's pinging from the same place. So it kind of confuses Uber and Lyft, and the system freaks out. Yeah, and and whenever you have six or 7,000 people that are all trying to do the same thing, uh, maybe there's no way around that. I mean, I don't know what you could possibly do. Maybe have some sort of tram or something take you to a bigger area. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was certainly a bottleneck. And and you think you thought you you got away with murder when you got off because it was just so fast. And then you end up there waiting for your car, and and you realize that sometimes when the Lord giveth, the Lord also taketh <laughs> away. You know what I found interesting? What's your your terminal in um, Los Angeles? Is it called San Pedro? San Pedro, yeah. yeah. We have San, Port of San Pedro, Port of Los Angeles in San Pedro, and then we have one in Long Beach, too. Yeah, I sailed in the San Pedro in May on Norwegian, and we actually, where we docked, we walked about a half a mile down the street. The wait was 60-something minutes right in front of the terminal. We walked down the street to like a Starbucks or something, and we got it like in four minutes. Yeah, that's always the way to go. That's what I do in Galveston. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just go to the Starbucks, and it's it's easy to get to get in and out. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I mean the, the port of LA, I ha- it's been a while since I've done a cruise out of there because Royal pulled out, mm-hmm. but I remember that just being murder. I remember getting on the ship taking forever and getting off the ship taking forever. And, and so far I haven't found a port that's been quite as disorganized as LA, yeah. <laughs> um, which is why I have no problem flying to others. <laughs> right. Yeah. Galveston used to be like that too. They've kind of uh, straightened their act up though. Yeah, no, I don't know if it's a company thing or a port thing, but they seem to make it better every time I do it. Yeah. But yeah, I, the first time I ever took a cruise out of San Juan, it was it was just the most miserable experience I've ever dealt with because <laughs> it was really hot and really humid. And then the last time I did it there, it was a breeze. Yeah. Uh, any first time tips to offer someone sailing Symphony of the Seas? You're going to enjoy it. You're going to blink your eyes and it's going to be over. If you have time, what you may want to do and what a lot of people were doing on this ship was they were doing back-to-backs. Mm-hmm. They were just treating it as if it was a two-week cruise and then they alternate itineraries. So you won't go to the same islands twice if you do it two times in a row. So I would definitely recommend doing that. The one criticism I have of the the, the bigger ships as opposed to something like the jewel is that they try to, they try to find ways to monetize things that they wouldn't necessarily monetize on the smaller ships. So for example, um, I'm a runner, but on the cruise ships, I just do it in the gym. And so typically like if you do, um, if, if you, if you run on the jewel, you can go to the locker room and then you can just rinse off in the, in the locker room. They'll have, uh, like showers and stuff in the steam room and the sauna. And then you can just meet your family for, for lunch or dinner or something right after. On this cruise, they don't have that. Mm-hmm. If you want the spa, that's like a separate package that you got to buy. And, um, you know, it's not like right there. You got to go somewhere else. Um, so they find ways to monetize things that just make it less user-friendly. Um, so that would be my one real criticism. Yeah, you you got to give it to the cruise lines. If there's a way to take the money from your pocket and put it into theirs, it's the cruise line. They can find a way to do it. Yeah, but like for something like that though, like wouldn't you rather pay an extra couple of bucks in the cost of your ticket and just have it be available and easy? Oh, totally. Um, yeah. Oh, the other criticism I would have is the Diamond Lounge, which is the first time I've ever been on a Diamond Lounge lawfully. Mm-hmm. Was that it was almost like being in a hotel. Um, conference room. This boat was configured in a way to where you had great views from just about everywhere, from the dining room, from the pools, from the hot tubs, from, uh, you know, your stateroom, wherever. Uh, However, in the Diamond Lounge, it was in a windowless room that was entirely too small for the number of people who were there. Mm. So it was always jam-packed with people And it was just like being in this kind of like dark, dour sort of place, which is different from the Freedom. It's different from the Jewel. It's different from other ships I've been on where you get to talk about cruising with all these people with a passion for cruising while you sit and look at the ocean. Um, This was like being at a concierge lounge at at a Holiday Inn. (laughs) Well, looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise? You know, I never get tired of the views. The, the views are, are just amazing. When you are in the process, and I, I do a local morning show in L.A., and I wake up in the middle of the night, and it's dark outside, and my house is, I keep an apartment in L.A., but my house is in Palm Springs, so 
I'm kind of landlocked in both areas. I don't have any, any great views of any bodies of water outside the pool. So just being able to experience that every morning, and I'm a fan of, of having room service coffee and, and fruit and stuff brought to the room where you just sit there and you just take it all in. And I could do that every day. I just I never get tired of that. That's that's what brings me back more than anything. John, what are your final thoughts of Symphony of the Seas? It was a whole lot of fun. I would do it again if I was going with someone who's never done an Oasis class ship. Mm-hmm. I would personally not seek out an Oasis class ship just for the experience of going on a big ship. I would base my decision on other criteria, including where the stops were, the dates, um, that sort of thing. But if you haven't done it, you should absolutely do it if you have a passion for cruising at some point in your life. John, thanks for coming on the show and doing this review of this seven-night cruise on Symphony of the Seas. We sure appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Dougie, here we go for uh, the new uh, cruise radio stuff here for you. Cruise radio is produced weekly in Jacksonville, Florida. For partnership opportunities, email Doug at cruiseradio.net. Hear Cruise Radio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Google Play, or at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer. I'm not sure how many of you listen to this part of the show because it's after the main content, but I wanted to pop in here and just let you know that after today, I'm not sure how good the connectivity is going to be for the Vietnam and Cambodia area because I'll be on a cruise ship up and down or going down rather the Mekong River. And the connectivity will depend if I can connect with Sherry for next week's cruise news. So if I can't, I would like to invite you to check out our cruise radio news briefs. That's Monday through Friday. It's quick hits of the news, somewhere between 60 and 75 seconds every day, just to get you caught up for what you need to know for that day's cruise news. So check that out where you listen to your favorite podcast. And again, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you on Sunday for Cruise Radio Rewind.